0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Tonight we are continuing our series on inner healing and we will be talking about cleansing ourselves. Of demons, Because these are these things that tend to stick around and create our lives uh, to go miserable routes, lead us into sin, and uh, it's more confusing than often we can even put into into words. I mean, even when Jesus talks about demons, sometimes you're just like, whoa, you know, like Old Testament, not a lot of demons. New Testament, a lot of demons. The way Jesus talks about demons in the New Testament, it's like, what does he know that we don't, you know, like. When you cast these things out, they go through waterless places before they come back. And like, What does that even mean? You know, it's just like, what is a demon? How does that work? Things like that. So there's a lot we could say, and there's a lot of resources out there about this. Some of those resources are insane, and you shouldn't listen to them. And some of those resources are helpful. The most helpful resources on deliverance ministry and casting out demons honestly come from counselors with PhDs. I know that sounds weird because a lot of times people are like, what does a PhD counselor have to do with deliverance ministry? Well, there are lots of counselors out there who have realized as they've done Christian ministry, you know what? I led these people through all the healing as we counseled them. And then I realized there was this spiritual entity at the end of that service to them that we needed to remove. And so they then get involved in deliverance ministry out of counseling. So I work a lot with the doctorate people who have found this to be a good component of their ministry. So really quick, honestly, I could do like four messages on this one. I'm just gonna quickly, briefly hit on this. If you've been at 1208 for a while, some of this will be normal. And if you haven't been, you'd be like, he's on crazy pills. So number one, what are demons? First and foremost, Satan would be like the head entity. If you will. And the reason he is framed that way in the Bible is because he was the first offender to lead people into sin. And therefore, all that sin is, is more or less been stapled on him as an entity. So Satan, if you will, is like the head of it all. But at the same time, he's not the only component of the demonic world. There are all different kinds of components that come up within it. And if you wanted to just blanket entity, all of it, you would just say, you know, Satan. But for the most part... He is, if you will, the original offender, and therefore the idea of of the demonic and sin is stapled on him. Could go deeper into that? We don't have time. Uh, The other thing would be principalities and powers. The Bible talks about these both in the Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're more or less little g gods. A lot of times when we talk about the false gods, we talk about false gods as though, well, they're not really real. But that's not what the Bible ever meant to imply. The false gods of the Bible are false in the sense that they shouldn't be worshipped. The Bible actually talks about how God assigned some of the spiritual beings of heaven to look over different nations. These are principalities and powers. Deuteronomy 32 is just going to straight up call them demons. That's because they have turned against God. They were supposed to serve these nations and lead them toward God. But instead, Deuteronomy 32 says that they led the, – well, Psalm 82 actually tells us that uh, these false gods betrayed God and led nations away. If you go to Daniel 10, right, you see the prince of Persia. It's a false god reigning over Persia. It's actually fighting the one true god as God tries to send an angel to Daniel. The angel can't get there because a little G god, a principality of power, is trying to keep him out. So those are demons. But neither Satan nor principalities and powers are usually the kind of demons that we deal with on an internal scale. Those kind of demons probably fall in minor keys because first off, what does a principality and power of an entire nation like really care about you personally? Right. It does happen. uh, And those kind of demons are actually removed a little differently. I've come to think that, you know, that passage where Jesus says this kind of demon only comes out with prayer and fasting. I think that's the kind of demon Jesus is saying this one's actually like a higher authority that does not come out just simply by command. You have to bring this one before God. So that that I think is what Jesus was getting at with principalities and powers. Uh, but the ones that we're probably usually dealing with are ones that are on the lower side of things. So fallen angels would be one. Revelation talks about how when Satan turned against God he took a third of the angels with him. Uh, so there is There's disconnect in heaven. A lot of times we think that heaven has it all together, but Job says that God doesn't trust his holy ones. Holy ones are spiritual beings. Michael has to fight a third of them. So fallen angels, yes, that's part of it. But then there's also, uh, (laughs) this is the one we really don't have time for, but the spirits of giants. Uh, In Genesis 6, you see angels from heaven try to create giants. Those giants stick around all the way into Goliath's time. And if you were to look at Jewish literature, it would tell you, uh, based on what they were reading in the Old Testament, that when a giant died, more or less, like, spirit doesn't belong in heaven, doesn't belong in hell, it's just kind of disembodied, and so it more or less just kind of joins the forces of Satan, and they afflict us. This is probably why Jesus called these spirits often unclean spirits, it's because their, their existence is unclean, it's due to the cohabitation between spiritual beings and human beings. That's where the giants came from, according to Genesis 6. So an unclean spirit, in the sense that it has unclean origin stories. Giant spirits, fallen angels, these are towards the bottom, but like powers would be up there, Satan would be up there. Satan himself goes up to Jesus and tempts him and says, look at all the nations of the world, I can give you these. Jesus doesn't fight him on that topic. In fact, Paul calls Satan the little g-god of this world. So... This is what is fighting against you. And we don't always understand it. Apparently they are appointed to certain areas. In the Gerasene Demoniac, when Jesus casts out these demons, they say, Please don't kick us out of the country. What does a demon care about the country? (laughs) I don't know. But apparently they have geographical areas in which they're assigned to. Which would make sense, since you see like the Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece. They're over different areas. All right. So this is kind of what we're dealing with. I'm sure there's a lot more. The Bible sometimes is a little vague on it, uh, but we could go into more detail. We just don't have time. If you have more questions on any of those four, ask me, I'll explain later as much as I can. Uh, Next question, of course, when you get into this kind of ministry is can a Christian have a demon? Which has been well fought over for so long in the church. Um, And here's the basic answer that you're going to come to. You're going to come to two. The first one is no, absolutely not. And this always comes from people who have never cast out a demon before. (laughs) Anyone who has made a regular work of deliverance ministry would say, yes, of course. In fact, the only people we cast demons out of are Christians. Because you wouldn't want to cast a demon out of someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit to fill you. (laughs) That's madness. You're setting them up for pure chaos. And we'll explain a little bit more of that. Can a Christian have a demon? Let me quote from uh, C. Fred Dixon, who is the chair of Department of Theology at Moody Bible Institute. See, I told you it's not all crazy people out there talking about this. I have encountered from 1974 to 1987 at least 400 cases of those who were genuine Christians who were also demonized. I would not claim infallible judgment, but I know the marks of a Christian and the marks of a demonized person. I might have been wrong in a case or so, but I cannot conceive that I would be wrong in more than 400 cases. We must deduce that those who deny that Christians can be demonized generally are those who have not had counseling experience with the demonized. This stance is largely theoretical. Deliverance is only for Christians. And The principle behind this is, Jesus talks about when you cast a demon out of a person, it goes to find more demons to move back in. Because now the place has all been cleaned out. It's like, yeah, we got a nice new house. Let's get back in there. But, Let's say you cast a demon out of someone who does not have the Holy Spirit filling them after you've cast it out. That thing's just going to come back with seven of his friends and move right in. They're now in a worse state than they were before. So deliverance ministry, it doesn't work with people who aren't Christians. It will work with people who are willing to become Christians. But ideally, deliverance ministry is for Christians. They're the ones with the Holy Spirit. They're the ones to have these demons removed from them in the first place. Alright, uh, here's where things are gonna start sounding a little ethereal, okay? These are things that we have some vague Bible passages on it, but the things I'm about to share with you, these are commonplace in all deliverance ministries. Pretty much anyone who's done deliverance all the time is going to tell you that these things are real and that they do matter. And usually to get demons out you have to deal with this. The first is generational curses. I know that sounds weird, but we actually do see this. Uh, We usually identify it as science and sometimes it is, okay? I never wanna discredit science. I don't know if you know me, I've written nine books. One was fully on science and one was fully on the supernatural. I'm that weirdo who you can't put in a box, I'm sorry, okay? But I don't have a problem with science. I don't have a problem with mental health. That is all real, that exists by all means. But also the spiritual world exists and it's okay to have both, okay? With generational curses, essentially, um, when somebody falls into sin or starts worshiping a false god or things like that, occasionally these are things that get passed down from your family throughout your family. And a lot of the world recognizes that. Actually, uh, the new Pixar movie, St. Red. anybody? Anybody see that? came out like last week. Uh, I mean, the whole movie is more or less about a generational curse upon this family that has to... Panda spirits upon them. I won't get into the whole thing, but like, it's essentially the same idea that they're playing with. And they actually do a lot with demon stuff throughout this entire movie. It's just been very kiddified, which I'm, you know, I know they're just telling a story, but the way in which they tell it matches very much the way in which we talk about generational curses. Uh, One thing moves from family member to the next family member to the next family member. And people have come across this. I know one counselor who does deliverance ministry all the time before she understood what demons were and she was casting them out, she tells this weird story where out of nowhere, she just felt like a hundred pounds of pressure were put on her chest. And she didn't understand what that was. She's like, what on earth am I feeling right now? And then within like seconds or minutes, she got a call. Your mom just died. And she didn't, she wasn't able to put it together at the time, but she said, you know, how often do you call and like the person already knows and I think the nurse said like 70% of the time, it's weird. That right there though, she recognized later when she got into deliverance ministry, that was a generational curse. Mom died, the demon left and moved into her. And now she had to deal with removing this out of her. Oftentimes the way in which you recognize this though, is that there's something moving through the family. So a parent had something like an addiction, uh, maybe alcohol, you know, the list goes on. We look at it scientifically today, but it's not always science. Uh, Sometimes it is, again, but sometimes it is the passing on of a spirit that represented something. Because that's what demons do. Demons usually represent a specific theme. In fact, when I've been casting them out before, um, I have to get their name. I take this from Jesus, right? What is your name? My name is Legion, right? Uh, The reason that you identify the name is so that you know what you're dealing with. And the names that I've been given, I just pull up a phone, I Google what the name means... I get a list in different languages. It's like, oh, look, this demon represents exactly how this name translates in Vietnamese. Surprise, surprise, you know? Uh, and and that's how you figure out, okay, so this demon literally works on this entire theme in a person's life. Uh, that kind of stuff will happen. So uh, when you see something happening in a child that happened in an adult, sometimes that's just mental conditioning. Obviously, our parents teach us how to live, but sometimes... There's a little bit more going on there. If you're looking for biblical examples, is where that comes from. One of the big ones is Exodus 24 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. This is the second commandment in the whole Bible, by the way. This is the, the big 10 right here. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And here we go. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is one of the main passages that deliverance people will move on, though lots of people will be like, ah, that's not what it means, which, you know, fine, do whatever you want with it, but that that would be one of your sources there for, for a generational curse of sorts. In fact, like in ancient times, People worshiped the false gods, and a lot of times those gods were known as like a family god. Abraham himself, when he first met Yahweh, the one true God, he may have just thought like this is another family god. This one is with my family until he realized, oh, this is actually god of the entire cosmos. My bad. I did not understand that. But the fact that he could have conceived as a family God shows you that in ancient times, they already had this thought that there are spiritual beings that move with your family and move down through it. Okay, next thing about how you might end up with a demon is soul ties. And I know that one sounds weird too, but there's actually a lot of biblical precedent behind this. Soul ties are more or less when you are connected to another person. Now there are healthy soul ties, like your marriage, but then there are unhealthy soul ties too. Okay, so let's just take a look at a few Bible passages so that we understand what a soul tie is. Right at the beginning of the Bible, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We love to talk about sex as though it's science, that it's orgasm, that it's just triggers in your mind going off and all these things. But the Bible right from the beginning tells us a different story. Sex is spiritual. There is a bonding between two people. In fact, Jesus looked at this passage. And when he talked about it in the New Testament, he hit on it hard. He said, don't you, uh, have you not read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's just quoting what we just read. But then he says, so there are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus had this understanding like when two become one they're tied through this soul tie, like they're supposed to be like that permanently. So you can understand that when we sin in this way and give our lives over to unholy sexual unions, naturally with that comes soul ties that then put us in bondage. They become ties around us that, that throw us off, right? 1 Corinthians, Paul reflects on that. Let's see if we can just hop here. I'll... I'll Synopsis: Paul says, like, if you were to sleep with a prostitute, you would then be joined as one body with them. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But then Paul takes that passage that we just saw three times now. Takes it another route and says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So it's actually through the Holy Spirit, there's this soul tie between us and Jesus that brings us together into one body. And Paul really loved that passage. He comes back to it again in Ephesians Saying, therefore, a man shall not leave his father and mother and hold fast to his... Sorry, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul saw this real intimacy, this bonding between us and the Holy Spirit. And then there's there's good soul ties, too, between like friends and whatnot. Uh, one of the only examples again in the Bible, 1 Samuel 18, between... Uh, um, David and Jonathan where it says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And those two would continue to take care of each other throughout the rest of their story. So those are examples of like good soul ties. But unfortunately, soul ties often go bad. And the way that you should understand soul ties from a supernatural perspective is it's more or less like a highway of sorts. I remember once I was casting out this demon and it gave um, the person I was working with an image of it moving back and forth between two lovers. And essentially what I realized was this thing was using a highway between the two, the soul tie, to move back and forth and and mess with, with both of them in whatever way. I know that sounds weird, but again, this brings us even back to generational curses, right? Your family is soul tied to each other. Like you knit yourself together. So this is part of the way in which They highway down to others. It's also part of the reason that if your family is like really, really bad and things are really, really broken. Yeah, it's possible in the name of Jesus, you might have to sever that soul tie to connect yourself just straight to your heavenly father because your family brings in with it too much bad stuff and baggage. Uh, Sometimes um, you got to break soul ties with people that uh, you've been good friends with that have done horrible things. Uh, So some counseling ministries will do this. Look, that First person that brought you into getting addicted to drugs, you got to break that soul tie with them. Because when you made that, you just suddenly set up this highway and that's where you got messed up through this whole thing. When it comes to soul ties, these are easily broken because Jesus is more powerful than any curse upon us. Okay, so if you have a, a bad soul tie, if you will, you essentially you just sever it in the name of Jesus. And by the blood of Jesus, I break this soul tie between me and this other person. And this goes especially with anyone that you have had sex with um, or any other poisonous soul ties that you might have incurred over time. Uh, abusive soul ties, things like that. Uh, <clears throat> because those just lead into more and more bondage rather than the healthy feeding of one another as it's supposed to do. Okay, and then some of the other ones are a little more obvious. Sin can lead us into getting demons, right? Um, Especially when we find ourselves getting especially addicted to things. We've brought about compulsions in our life. Uh, The analogy that's often used with sin is that it's like garbage. And where there's garbage, mice gather, right? So if we don't want rats to come into our life and pollute it, then we need to make sure that the space is clean. And uh, if we do leave the garbage out, then eventually they're going to show up. And then the other one obvious as well, the occult. If you're messing around with the occult, you have literally just walked straight into demonic territory. And this goes for even the most simple of things. I know they sell Ouija boards at the store and stuff like that, but I think the very first demon I helped deliver from the deduction from the team was this person like messed around with something like a Ouija board, some occultish thing, and let something into their life. By the way, I know Ouija boards were like, ha, that's not even really a thing. But like people in the occult don't mess with Ouija boards (laughs) because they say that it's like picking up a telephone, not knowing who's on the other end. So even they know like, let's not mess around with this stuff. Uh, But the occult, like they're some of the strongest demons out there. And it makes sense because you intentionally kind of engage them, opening yourself up to this thing. Uh, And those have have a lot of strength to uh, sometimes manifest in some crazy ways. All right, demons, what do they do to us once they're in? Uh, the first one, you ever read uh, tape Letters, C.S. Lewis? Anybody? Anybody? Y'all got to go read it. Well, I guess you got to go read it, but C.S. Lewis probably would tell you not to read it. C.S. Lewis hated this book. <laughs> Basically, it's about an older demon teaching a younger demon, which while I've done Deliverance, I've actually, I thought this was fiction, but I've come across an older demon with a mentor demon. <laughs> um, and... uh uh it's an older one teaching a younger one. Here's how you mess this person up. So C.S. Lewis, like, to write it, had to think like a demon would think. If I wanted to tempt someone on lust, what would be all the things that I would lay forward to tempt them on lust? If I had to tempt someone on death, what would I lay forward to tempt someone on death? And so C.S. Lewis is like trying to think like a demon to write this book. And when he was done, people were like, we need a sequel. And he's I don't even want to write another book like that. Um, but as C.S. Lewis wrote that book he Honestly, he gave the best depiction of how demons work They influence thoughts They influence thoughts Not all your thoughts are your own That's right. And you know that I think you've probably had a moment where you're like Wow, that really did not feel like me But it's, it's true Not all thoughts are your own And sometimes, I think you know that with Jesus Sometimes you have a God thought You're like, that was the Holy Spirit but the same thing is true with demons. They influence your thoughts as well. And the more you entertain a demonic thought, the more precedent it gets to take a grip in your life until you get to the point of possibly like joining in that thought, and then that's often one of the ways in which they can get in. Especially when we curse ourselves. This happens all the time. When you look in the mirror and you're just like you're never going to get it right. When you look in the mirror and you think oh, I just wish you were dead. Those kinds of words are spoken curses. And those can actually be moments where that thing that's been whispering in your mind, trying to get you through, when you speak those out loud, it's like, yes, I'm in. You need to be protective of the words that you say out loud. I know cursing is like commonplace, but the words that we speak carry power. And the Bible knows that. You ever read Genesis? (laughs) The rate at which someone's like, I curse you. <laughs> and you're like, well, what did that do? Well, the Bible is like, no, these words that I have spoken into the air will literally affect the future of this person. So you need to, you need to watch that. All curses can be broken in the name of Jesus. He's become a curse for us. right? But they'll influence your thoughts. Uh, that's, one, that's the main thing they do. They often can bring about compulsions. So if you have tried everything to conquer a specific theme, but it just continues to be there. I have tried to escape from pornography, but it just constantly continues to be there no matter what extent I go to. I've tried to escape from alcohol, but it just continues to be there no matter what state I go to. I've tried to escape from drugs, but it continues to be there no matter what state I go to. Well, first off, there is science behind that, right? We know that like heroin, for example, is like a, that's an instant change. That is addictive. But it also gives a space to invite something in and to push it to the limits further and further and further. And to break that compulsion, if you have tried everything else, it may be that you haven't tried deliverance yet. And sometimes you need to get to that point. Um, There's bodily affliction. You ever notice when Jesus casts out demons, sometimes the bodily affliction goes with it? Come out of them, you deaf and dumb spirit. Suddenly the person is no longer deaf and dumb. Uh, Gerasene Demoniac, he had mental health issues is the way it would have appeared to us, but after the demons are cast out, it says that he was in his right mind. A uh, mute demon. Uh, sometimes demons are actually associated with the physical pain that we go through, and they manifest in those ways. So sometimes in order to break the physical bodily affliction, you first have to get the demon out that's causing it in the first place. And I've seen that several times. Uh, And then um, that wasn't supposed to be there. I forgot to leave it. All right. Uh, Wrapping it up here. How do we get them out when we run into them? A few points for you. First off, you got to sever the legal rights. Nothing in deliverance ministry sounds more boring than legal rights. This is how demons operate. It's super annoying. And they are, demons are like the worst lawyers. (laughs) They'll find the fine print and then they'll abuse it to the greatest extent that they can. So like, for example, someone might be victimized. They might be abused. They might be raped. Now, by all means, it doesn't make sense that there would be a soul tie built in that moment. But there often is. And if a demon can break in through that soul tie, they'll cheat the system and do something like that. These are horrible stories, but this is how demons work. Jesus said that Satan's been a liar since the beginning. He's a murderer and a deceiver, and there is no truth found in him. He's been a murderer since the beginning. Satan does not care about playing fair. He does not care about doing things the right way. If he can find a legal right to get in, he will get in. And Jesus actually came preaching about how to break those legal rights all the time. And the big one was forgiveness. That's why we spent three weeks talking about forgiveness and inner healing. It's because a lot of times demons get in through something that happened in our memories. And we'll find oftentimes that somebody who's afflicted us very harshly needs to be forgiven in order to get them out. Why did Jesus care so much about forgiveness? Because he cared about your liberation from dark forces. And if you don't forgive, those things have legal rights to stay. Now, some of them are weak enough that you can kick out. I remember there was one that, like, every time I made it manifest, it just, (laughs) it always seemed like, I don't want to be here, but I can't leave. (laughs) And I'm like, well, just leave then. I can't. Why not? I can't tell you. So eventually I realized this one was connected to another one. And if I severed the two with my words, I could then kick it out. And it seemed happy to leave at that point. As though it did not really want to be there anymore. It was too much to put up with me. (laughs) Um... But the stronger ones, I mean, I've had them tell me straight to my face, like, I went through training for this. So no matter what kind of torment that you put on them, they will stay until the bitter end, until those legal rights have been broken. So you've got to figure out how to sever legal rights. And if you don't focus on the legal rights as to why they're there, they're going to stick around. And they're going to have a really easy time getting back in if you haven't worked through those. So forgive. I just said that. And then the three R's, you got to repent, okay? What I did was wrong. Sometimes you're innocent. Sometimes demons do get in through innocent means. You didn't choose to be born into this family. You were abused by your parents, and they made their way in. You didn't choose to have a generational curse. It just made your way in. Sometimes it's innocence, and we still have to, like, I repent on my family's behalf. God, I want to follow you. Unlike them, who followed something else. Uh, so we repent. We repent. If we have any guilt, any sin in our lives, we got to repent. And if we're not willing to repent, we give them legal right to stay there. We also have to renounce. Okay, you intended this for me, but I'm not going to live like that. And sometimes we don't renounce. Sometimes we decide that we actually like, I don't really want this demon to go. And so I'm not going to turn it over. Uh no, I don't like looking at pornography, but at the same time, I do get a rush from it. Well, are you going to renounce this thing or do you want to keep it? Because if you want to keep it, it's not going to leave. Why? Because that's a legal right to stay. So you've got to renounce, you've got to uh, repent, and you got to rebuke. This is a common word used throughout the Gospels. Jesus rebuked demons all the time. Uh, he would, uh, more or less, this is like a forceful vocalization Get out, stop, cease. Jesus also gave us the power to bind and loose. Bind things on heaven and earth. So if a demon is afflicting someone in some way, bind it. In the name of Jesus, you may no longer afflict this person in this way. And then loose something else. I loose from heaven peace upon your life instead. I loose from heaven joy upon your life instead. Alright, so there's a lot there, and I know it sounds weird, and we have biblical precedent for a lot of it. But at the same time, the New Testament just talks like we understand it. <laughs> and we don't. I mean, there's statements that Jesus makes sometimes, and we're just like, ah, it's very confusing. But at the same time, Jesus knew what he was talking about because he's God. So it's helpful to find the people that you can't trust in deliverance ministry. And once you start looking at them, you see they have patterns. They're all doing the same thing. They all recognize these same kinds of characteristics. And we've gotten into a little bit of it tonight. And it gets complicated. It gets difficult. There's a lot to it that's just like, man, this is mind-blowing. What what do I even do with this? And it takes discernment. It's detective work sometimes to figure out what those legal rights are and to get them out. But once they're out, we then need to keep them out. That requires discipline on yourself, okay? I had a friend who someone came up to him and said, "I I feel like I have a demon of gluttony in me and I like it to go. And my friend was like, well, have you tried not eating so much? And they're like, no, I have not. Okay, well, how about you start by trying not to eat so much? And their thinking is more or less like, let's say I kick this thing out, and then you keep eating too much. Well, you just gave it a right to come right back in because you continue to live in the lifestyle. Like That's not renouncing. That's not repenting. And so, yeah, we, if we want to keep them out, we need to build discipline. It's the fruit of the spirit. Gifts. Of the Spirit are given, but fruit is grown. Gifts are given, but fruit is grown. If you want the fruit of the Spirit, that takes time, though gifts will be something handed to you. Uh, And then yeah, build discipline, chase after Jesus, do the Jesus-y things, read your Bible, worship, engage God, listen to the Holy Spirit, pray. These are the ways in which we keep them out. It's a way in which we don't live stagnant Christian lives. And then, um, be on the defense. Paul recognized that because we live in a, a world of spiritual warfare, that's why we put on the armor of God. You remember that passage? We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers in the spiritual realm. If you want to defend off demons, then you need to wear the armor of God, the breastplate of truth, the belt of righteousness. You got to wear these things to fend off attacks. Carry the sword of the spirit. And uh, let's see here. Uh, The verse that we talked about before, Jesus actually told us that when demons leave, they go to find other spirits, seven other spirits more evil than themselves, and then they try to come back. That's all the more reason. Like, when we cast them out, we got to be serious. We have to, like, truly be repentant and renounce these things. Because when they try to come back, they are going to be ready to afflict hardcore. And if we let it back in, just what Jesus says, the state of that person is worse than the first. Spiritual warfare is no joke. It requires energy, time, effort. Not only on the person doing the delivering, but on the person who is wanting to be delivered. So with that being said, I realize we're already over. I was going to give you some space to just kind of bring something before God and ask him to deliver it. Um, There are different ways of doing deliverance. This is one. So I'm just going to take just five more minutes to do that with you. If you need to leave, go ahead. But uh, let me just give you some space for that. So first, go ahead and just kind of take yourself to that dreamscape place to meet with God. Then I want you to, as you meet with Jesus there in your mind, bring something before him that uh, you might already know is a sin in your life. Maybe it's a generational thing. You're like, I saw a sin in my family and their parents and their parents before them, and I have it too. God would like to be broken with that. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's a personal sin. And if it is, then you know what that is Like right from the get-go. Yeah, I know that thing that I've been trying to get rid of, and I just can't. I myself have been freed from that personal sin with effort after effort to remove it, and then in a prayer, I felt something leave. This is the space for you to do something like that. So once you have whatever that thing is that you feel you need cleansing from, that you feel might possibly be some kind of entity, Bring it to Jesus. See if he has anything for you to talk about with it. And if not. Repent, renounce, rebuke. For those of you with uh, generational curses, this is something you feel has gone through your family. Go ahead and bring this prayer before Jesus. Repeat it after me in your mind. In the name of Jesus, I break any curses that have come down upon me from my mother and father, grandparents, great-grandparents, as far back as necessary, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, cousins, brothers and sisters, friends and enemies, I break any curses that have come down upon me from my husband or wife, from their parents, their grandparents, as far back as necessary. Aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, cousins, brothers and sisters, friends and enemies. If you've had a former spouse before that, you'll want to pray this same thing that we just did over them as well. I break any curses that have come down upon me from anyone with whom I have been sexually intimate and their mothers, fathers, grandparents, great-grandparents, as far back as necessary, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, cousins, brothers and sisters, friends and enemies. Now I'll read this next part over you. I see these curses flowing into these people here at 1208 like a stream, contracts, covenants and agreements that either they have entered into or others have entered into on their behalf. I see them laid out before them. Row after row of print, I see the Holy Spirit touching these and I see them turning into dust and falling to the ground and having no power over them in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, I break any ungodly oaths that they have spoken over themselves, things that they have said that is not consistent with teaching of scripture or what Jesus says about them. I see the power of those words broken and their power over them destroyed. In the name of Jesus, I break any ungodly soul ties, attachments, or hooks, attaching them to any individual, living or dead, that came about as a result of inappropriate physical or emotional intimacy. I see these cables severed and disappearing into the darkness, the hooks falling out of their body onto the ground. In the name of Jesus, all curses, contracts, and agreements are broken, all ungodly oaths shattered, and all soul ties, attachments, and hooks Severed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now if you're dealing with sin. uh, Something that you want to bring before God on that. Simply repent. Choose a few memories that are like Mm -hmm. especially. Like a big example of that sin. Or ones that Jesus brings to your attention. Repent. Renounce it. Tell Jesus you're not going to live into that sin anymore. And rebuke that demon and tell it to go. In the name of Jesus. And all these demons that are leaving have to go to the feet of Jesus. They do not stay in 1208. They do not go to anyone else in this room or this community. They go only to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus will tell them what to do from there. So go ahead and bring that personal sin. And ask any demon associated with this to leave in the name of Jesus. do that and a lot of times uh, when I do deliverance sessions usually several hours so maybe maybe some of you felt something something leave or even at least pinpointed something that you need to deal with or uh, maybe there was nothing but now you kind of know what you need to go home and deal with Uh, before you go scouring the internet trying to figure out what kind of prayers to pray and come across some weird stuff that you shouldn't be looking at uh, talk to me I'll give you some sources that can help you uh, it's Only a Demon is one from uh, uh, David W. Appleby. He's a counselor and a, and a doctorate and things like that. Uh, it's a very helpful book. Uh, he's very interested in Scripture and brings it all together. Likewise, if you ever want to have a talk with me because you feel like there's some stuff that you need to work through, I'm happy to do that. You just need to know like, we're getting into some serious stuff and therefore we get in pretty deep to the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. Uh, any kind of stuff that you hold back on, will only further delay any process or stall it completely from being able to to move forward. Um, Spiritual warfare is called warfare for a reason. It takes effort. Uh, It takes a a willingness to be free. So uh, go in peace and may the Holy Spirit go with you. Anybody who's been cleansed of something, Holy Spirit, come fill those empty spaces afresh. And would you lead us closer and closer to you because we are hungry and thirsty for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, everyone. Thanks for staying a little later. We'll catch you later.